I'm Damian Bulwa, Metro Editor at the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, the return of PG&E power shutoffs. As we record this episode Tuesday afternoon, it's getting hot outside and PG&E is preparing for possible precautionary outages to hundreds of thousands of customers. That's due to dangerous fire weather that's supposed to peak Wednesday and Thursday. Reporters J.D. Morris and Mallory Mensch are here to talk about it. I'll ask them what we can expect and what we learned from the last shutoffs. I'll also ask whether you should run out and buy a solar-powered battery for your house. Okay, let's get going. J.D. Morris, tell us about the possible shutoffs this week. Yeah, so PG&E is looking to potentially uh, do another power outage starting sometime uh, on Wednesday that would affect customers in 16 different counties. It would be about 189,000 customer accounts, um, which is a different number than people. That's a lot more humans than that. Um, it's San like Mateo, households. Napa, yeah, exactly. And businesses, et cetera. San Mateo, Napa, and Sonoma counties are on the list of counties that could be affected. So it's um, significant because this is coming, you know, so soon after they did that really widespread power outage that affected an estimated 2 million people in more than 30 counties across the state. Um, This one clearly is much more limited, though, so the impacts should be not as severe, but um, we'll see what happens. Well, for people that want to keep up with the exact location of the shutoffs today, tomorrow, the next day, sfchronicle.com will have, obviously, extended coverage. Mallory, you've been out in the field during these shutoffs. How are people coping? Well, when I was out reporting in the East Bay uh, two weeks ago during the power outages, even right before it happened, when it was just announced, customers were rushing out to buy ice. Uh, Mothers were trying to save breast milk that they had in their freezers. Hardware stores were running out of flashlights um, and batteries. And while I was out at a hardware store in Kensington, I met a woman who had actually gone to REI and spent uh, $2,600 on solar panels and a lithium-ion battery so that she um, could charge her fridge on her own. Okay, so she went out and bought a small battery just to charge certain things in her house, right? Not the whole house. $2,600. Okay, well, that's that's interesting. JD, um, you've been writing about what we're learning from the shutoffs. Obviously, they didn't go totally smoothly, as some people know. We had the the PG&E outage website that crashed. PG&E has been taking a lot of blowback on this. What's the latest there? Uh, the latest is that Governor Newsom sent a letter to PG&E's CEO today, Tuesday, um, kind of reiterating his uh, extreme discontent with how the utility rolled out the shutoffs earlier this month um, and did focus in part on that website that kept crashing. Um, he also said that a lot of customers found that the information on there wasn't useful to them. Um, he said PG&E needs to do a better job uh, communicating to customers when they could reasonably expect their power to come back on um, and just said that kind of what happened earlier this month was totally inexcusable and he wants PG&E to do better and try to limit the shutoffs as much as possible going forward and to immediately um, listen to and implement recommendation or directions from the Public Utilities Commission, um, whose president has also been uh, very critical of PG&E. And they just had an emergency meeting about this issue actually on Friday in which she really 
um, told them how disappointed she was and that they had uh, failed on some, I think the quote was pretty sim- uh, simple stuff um, with regard to the outage earlier this month. So yeah, I mean, a lot of pressure. It's, it's very irritating for people, very aggravating, in some cases, life threatening for people. And to see the performance of PG&E not be up to snuff is obviously very making people angry. But, you know, what a lot of people are asking me is, did the shutoffs work? And is there any way to know that? Is there any way to tell whether the the shutoffs last time stopped fires from breaking out? Well, it's impossible to definitively prove a negative, right? So that's always going to be a challenge for PG&E here. Um, What I will say is that they have pointed out that they found more than 100 instances of wind-related damage or hazards on their equipment when they were inspecting the power lines before turning them back on again. That includes trees and branches that had fallen on power lines. Um, And of course, that is a very common way that wildfires... um, are started when the utility is responsible for them. And that's what PG&E found two years ago uh, during the October 2017 fires. And the campfire was also started, um, you know, when wind uh, broke uh, an old hook on an aging transmission tower um, outside Paradise. So um, PG&E points to those things as evidence that um, it made the right decision. Uh, Also down in Southern California, we have the Saddle Ridge fire that may have been started by a different utility, Southern California Edison's equipment during high winds. Um, Which they didn't turn on. Right. That tower, uh, I do not believe they turned off. I just um, want to drill in a, a little more with you guys on the on the reaction. Mallory, um, being out in the field, what kind of things are you hearing from people in terms of how they're being affected? I was hearing a lot, especially from businesses, small businesses who say that, you know, if they lose a thousand, two thousand dollars for shutting down for one day um, and PG&E has not uh, said that they will not compensate for those losses, people can file claims on a case by case basis, but in general, uh, not compensating just because of the power outages. So for businesses, they're worried that uh, that might mean that they can't make rent uh, for the month or things like that. Um, also, uh, customers and residents uh, are going out and having to spend a lot of money on their own, and not everyone can afford that as well. And the governor has asked PG&E to uh, give residential customers automatically a $100 rebate and small businesses a $250 rebate during these outages. Um, PG&E is not doing that yet, but is not uh, refusing uh, to do it either. They say they're considering it. At this emergency meeting last week, I think we heard, um, you know, that the commission kind of really wants PG&E to do that and would prefer to not have to force them to do it. But PG&E just provided me a statement shortly before we came down here um, because the governor reiterated his um, request to them in his letter today. They said um, that they don't think that it's consistent with the state's current regulations and that it's something that they're going to have to But it's also a huge on. precedent, right? I mean, if they do it and they're going to do this 10 times a year, yeah. That's a <laughs> that could really add up. I, I think they're worried about that. Um yeah. So, sure. we'll see what happens with that going forward. All right. I want to get uh, a little deeper into into the future of this and also into that solar issue Mallory um that we talked about. Let's do that after a short break. We'll be right back with uh, Mallory Mench and JD Morris.
Welcome back. This is Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bolwa. I'm here with reporters J.D. Morris and Mallory Mensch. We're talking about the shutoffs that might come back as soon as Wednesday uh, for power to hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, Mallory, you've been reporting about solar power and whether uh, people are interested in going out and making sure that they can be immune to the outages. First of all, um, solar power, correct, is does not make you immune just generally if you have a, a basic system on your roof. That's correct. If you have uh, solar panels installed on your roof, you still need an inverter to convert that electricity uh, so it doesn't make you immune to those power outages. What does, though, is if, or what should, if it works well, is if you have a storage uh, backup battery, so that will store the um, excess energy, and that will allow you to still use it during a power outage. Now, you you spoke to a man named Derek Kraus of Oakland, I think a former firefighter, and he's one of those people that is going out and putting in these systems, obviously, you can get them installed. Um, you can put battery life. What does that look like? How much does it cost? And what kind of people are, are putting them in? For sure, definitely. I spoke with uh, some people, like you said, in Oakland, um, also in Orinda and Mill Valley, a lot of places who either they already have these systems in place. So some people put them in maybe earlier this year before they even knew about the shutoffs. And now they're glad that they did because it worked well during the outages. Um, But to actually get those systems can be pretty costly. If you buy it outright for the solar panels uh, before the tax rebate can be $20,000 or $25,000 if you buy it in one go. It's pretty pricey. To get the additional storage, it can be another five to fifteen thousand, which will actually get you through the power outage. But, but that's a handful people, of days a year. I mean, that's exactly that's a exactly. lot of money. Um, most people have a long-term lease, so maybe twenty years, and what they end up paying per month is actually about what they might pay for their electrical bill, and they lease those um, panels on top of their house. Um, but that can be a pretty long process as well. So if you contact a company, you also have to get permitting from the city or wherever you live. So that could take a month. I talked to someone who it actually took a year. So that's not going to help you out if a power outage happens tomorrow. So what I saw when talking with people and also some companies was more of an increase in these portable options. So uh, the woman that I mentioned that I met in Kensington, she just went out and bought solar panels, and a portable battery that she could hook up herself. You can also buy uh, solar lights, solar-powered lights that are a lot cheaper than these large systems. Um, And I talked with some companies who had seen an increase, uh, 1,500 times percent increase uh, to their website where these things are sold, or they said we've definitely seen an increase in sales uh, right before the power outage and even afterwards. I think most people just want to stay on the internet, it seems like, right? And fridges. Fridges were the biggest thing. It can be dark, but as long as you're online. Um, Another big question that that people are asking JD is is, is about undergrounding. These lines that they're turning off are obviously uh, being damaged in the wind. Why can't they underground? Why can't in 2019 we have a system that that is immune to this? What's going on with undergrounding? Um, So... They have undergrounded in some places and, uh, you know, I think very significantly they have committed to burying the distribution lines underground in the town of Paradise as they rebuild that. Um, The first issue with that that always comes up though is it's really expensive. It's like $3 million a mile roughly I think. Um, So there's a huge cost that comes along with that. Also – 
you know, I've been told that underground lines are more susceptible to damage in an earthquake or flood. I've also been told that for any kind of power disruption, it will often take longer to restore power when the lines are underground because you have to go underground to access them to fix them. It's not, you know, like as simple as when uh, there's an issue with an above line or with an above ground power line. However, I don't think any of that is, um, you know, enough to diminish the calls that we've heard far and wide for more underground power lines right here in San Francisco. It's something that they want a lot, I know, um, a lot of folks at least. So uh, I, I do think we will continue to see people p- put pressure on PG&E to put more of its lines underground. But the cost and some of those other factors are definitely things that um, they're going to ask communities to consider um, as that conversation well, moves forward. If that's not the solution to, to getting at us out of this phase where we're having shutoffs every year, what are the other aspects of it? I mean, what what else are they going to be doing? I, I think, didn't you report that the the CEO said it's probably going to be 10 years at at least while we're in this phase. Right, yeah. What are other ways that we're going to get out of this? So first of all, I think undergrounding in some places is part of the solution. It's just not uh, as simple as doing it everywhere. And, you know, it it would be tremendously expensive and time-intensive to do that for PG&E's entire territory. But I think it is definitely part of it, and I think it will be a bigger part of their fire prevention efforts going forward. So I just want to make that clear. But yes, the CEO did say um, on Friday that California could be dealing with this for um, you know potentially 10 years, just not on the same scale that we saw it this month. They were very clear about that, that they do hope that it gets better every year, I think he said. And um, you know, that a lot of the work that they're doing um, will make those more limited. So other parts of the solution include um, covering bare power wires in the highest fire threat areas, installing more um, resilient poles that, um, you know, can withstand high fire risk weather um, more. They also have sectionalizing devices that they're putting into their service ter- across the service territory, which allows them to more closely target the parts mm. of the grid that they turn that they're able to turn off. Um, so just to keep it more contained. I think those are three. So there's of the a big lot of things. smaller, less sexy things that they'll, they'll be. Yeah, and it's kind of right. And so at least what they're saying right now is that the answer for them is um, you know a little bit of all of that together, and also of course. Um, really stepping up the vegetation management, um, the intense power line inspections that they did, um, that they completed earlier this year, all of that. Mallory, before we go, there's something else that this crisis has prompted, and that was a story you did about San Jose looking to get off of PG&E, right? Exactly. San Jose's mayor, Sam Licardo, on Friday uh, issued a memorandum, and he said that he wants to explore the city um, creating a publicly owned utility. He actually prefers that it wouldn't necessarily be owned by the city, but would be owned by the customers, so a customer co-op. He said he has spoken out very strongly against uh, PG&E for the the damages and the losses that were uh, incurred by the outages on his city. He said it cost the city around $500,000, and he would prefer to explore some other options uh, rather than uh, PG&E running it in the city. And, of course, the city of San Francisco is trying to create a government-run utility right here, and they have offered PG&E uh, $2.5 billion to buy the power lines um, from them that serve San Francisco. 
The CEO, though, um, rejected that in a letter back to them. But last I heard from the city folks, they said that they still planned to go full speed ahead um, with trying to get their idea adopted as part of PG&E's exit from bankruptcy. So we'll but see what happens. the statement from PG&E yesterday to me was uh, the utility's not for sale. Not for sale. Right. Yeah, they've, they've historically resisted any effort to chip away at their service territory, so that's not a surprise. All right. Well, thank you, too, for joining us. Thanks, Mallory. Thanks, J.D. Thank, thank you. you. So for everyone who wants to keep up with this story, go to sfchronicle.com through the week. Uh, we're going to have ongoing stories. We're going to have maps that show where the outages are. We're going to have live updates, reaction. You can get that all at sfchronicle.com. Thanks to my guests, Mallory Mench and J.D. Morris, two reporters at The Chronicle. To King Kaufman and Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.